thank you guys again for being here. Now, for our talk today, we're going to be continuing a, uh, a walk through the book of Acts in the New Testament. It's the, four, uh, the fifth book. I See, I don't do math in public normally. So it's the fifth book in the New Testament, and it's called The Acts of the Apostles. And so our short is usually we just call it Acts or the book of Acts. And, uh, and in this journey that we've been going through, we've seen a lot of really cool stuff about the very first days and weeks of what we now know to be the church in the world. Not just one local church, but God's movement of starting the, the, the Christianity and starting the Christian church. It is, there's just so much huge stuff that has gone on. If you've missed some of those, those talks and messages that we've had, I encourage you to check that out on our website. You can maybe catch up on some of those. Last week, we talked about how the church was newly formed and just motoring on in the early weeks. Some really cool stuff was happening. And all of a sudden, drama started happening. Drama between people. People getting upset, people getting offended, people feeling left out, people clicking off into their favorite little groups. And it was just causing a bit of a mess, some tension. And then they realized, wow, the, the, the main leaders of the church, we, we call them the apostles. It was the guys who had walked with Jesus those three years that he was here on the earth. And the apostles realized, man, we got we to gotta like, get some people to help us. So, so in last week's message that Ed just crushed, it was, he talked about how it's recorded in the early chapter of Acts 6, the sixth chapter of Acts, how they, they gathered a handful of guys and they became the first deacons. And these were the guys to help serve and take care of some of the nuts and bolts day in, day out, week in, week out. Uh, serving and ministry and facilitating, helping all the people who were now Christ followers that were making up the first century church. So that was cool. One of the guys who was a part of that group of deacons, the very first deacons ever, one of the guys, he's the focus of our talk today, and his name was Stephen. All right? So Stephen is going to be our guy. That. That is, I'm sorry, that should be uh, the second slide, I think. Uh, but anyway, so um, Stephen, it says from last week's message that, there, that he was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Stephen is an awesome guy. So I want to give you a heads up of what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about an amazing story from the life of Stephen. And what it's going to do is it's going to kind of set up a drama that plays out that we'll cover and discuss over the next several weeks. All right. So Stephen, what we'll see is that he had it going on. He was, as we learned last week, full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. But also we're going to see how, man, he was, and he wasn't just a guy that was good at administrative and logistical helping like the deacons were called to do. He was also really smart. He was uh, really together. He was this uh, Greek-speaking Jewish guy, probably pretty educated. And, man, he was so 
passionate about his faith. And we see that he was, uh, he was like doing miracles. We'll talk about all of it here in just a second. But some opposition arose. Some Jewish people that were in one of the synagogues there in town hated on Stephen. They got in arguments with him. And they were so mad that they, they falsely accused him of some stuff. And they drug him. They seized him and drug him in front of the Sanhedrin. We'll talk about that in a minute. It's kind of a, a council of the religious leaders of the Jewish community. And they would, they would hold court. Often right in the temple precinct. And so they drug Stephen in there. And they, and they even had these, uh, these witnesses that they had hired to lie on him. And falsely accuse him. And then when we end today. When, when, our, when our little message ends today. There's going to be kind of a little cliffhanger. Right? We're going to end on a cliffhanger. Where they bring the charges against Stephen. And then everybody's waiting to see how he's going to respond. And it's like tension, and then it's like to be continued. All right, so it's a little teaser. Be here next week. Of course, you can read ahead. There's no penalty if you read ahead in the scriptures and read what happens. But we're not going to just straight up, no spoilers today from me about what happens in the Stephen story. Maybe you're familiar with it. Maybe you're not. But I'll tell you this. I think when we're done talking here today about Stephen, we're going to go... Wow, this guy is legendary. This, is, this guy is, is going to be a major hero for us. And we're going to start thinking, why don't we talk about Stephen more often? He's that awesome. All right? So, the first thing you need to know about Stephen, and you see it right here on the screen in chapter 6, verse 8, that Stephen was full of grace and full of power. Now I'm only showing you half of verse 8. We'll get to the other half in a minute. The reason I wanted to stop here. Is because it's so critical. That we understand. That everything about Stephen. Everything he did. Everything he said. Everything about him. Starts right here. He was full of grace. And he was full of power. As a regular normal guy who had not, as far as we know, walked around for years and years with Jesus like the original 12 had, all right? He was a newer believer. We don't know exactly how. I mean, he might be one of the guys that first came to faith in Christ on the day of Pentecost. Don't know for sure. But the point is, is that everything about Stephen starts here. He was full of grace and he was full of power. And I want to talk to you about those two words real quick. And I'm, I you know, dug around in the original language. And you find out that the word grace is the word that tells us that we as people, Stephen as a person, received grace from God. It's the, it's the undeserved favor of God. That paves the way for us to receive forgiveness of our sins. To be brought into the family of God. And to stand strong and grow throughout our lives as we attempt to follow Jesus. The grace, it's, it's this undeserved favor from God that makes everything possible and anything possible. Scriptures tell us. In, in, in Titus chapter 2, verse, starting in verse 11. 
the Apostle Paul writes, The grace of God has appeared to all people, bringing salvation. Now, I knew about that, being a, a good little Baptist boy raised on Sunday school stories, right? That was, my, that was my story. And I knew, hey, the grace of God makes it possible. The grace of God which was displayed so profoundly on the cross of Jesus where he sacrificed himself so that we could be forgiven of our sins. The grace of God has brought salvation. We're saved, that Bible word. We're saved because of the grace of God. But Titus 2 verse 11 says, And that same grace trains us in righteousness. It teaches us to say no to unrighteousness, to evil works. To the, to, it teaches us to say no to sin. It is the same grace that saves us from our sin that helps us grow and become stronger. Stephen was full of this grace. And when you're full of grace, you are a gracious person. He was full of grace, but he was also full of power. Now, this word power is mentioned tons of times in the New Testament and a bunch of times in the book of Acts itself. And this word power is a Greek word called dunamis or dunamai. What does that word sound like? If you are raised in the 70s, as I was, there was a TV show called Good Times. And J.J. would say, dynamite. How old do you have to be to know that reference? I just want to apologize to everybody here. It doesn't have gray hair or a bald spot. That's it. That's me. My bad. But the, the Greek word dunamis or dunamis, that is... The word that we now use for an explosive, an explosive agent. The power of God mentioned over and over in the New Testament is like dynamite. It's like explosive power. And Jesus told his disciples right before he ascended up to heaven where he to this day. Sits at the right hand of the father. And right before he did that he said to him you're going to receive Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And through that power, you're going to be my witnesses all over the place. Starting in your hometown, but eventually all out to the entire world. The power of God is in us who believe. The power of God, if you are a believer in Jesus, it is in you. It's dynamic. It's like explosive Power available to us. This same word is described, is used to describe the power that God himself used to raise Jesus from the dead. Do you get what, you know, it's just like maddening when we think about how often the enemy of our souls convinces us that because we're people of faith, we somehow don't have access to enough power to function in our lives and to make a difference in this world. What a lie. Do you get that? It is clear and obvious through the teaching of the New Testament. That, that the grace that was on all the apostles and on Stephen. The grace and the power that they had is available to you and me and all of us. 
It's available to us. Amen to that. The grace and the power. And it was everything to Stephen. It's, it's what made Stephen tick. All right. So the next thing we, we note. It's not just about that he was full of grace and power. But that he performed miracles and signs. Miracles and signs. Let's look at the, the whole of all of verse 8 together real quick. All right. It says, now Stephen, full of grace and power, performed great miracles and signs among the people. Whoa. All right. I thought he was a deacon that was just supposed to set up tables and chairs for the mealtime. What's going on there? He's performing signs and miracles among the people? Yeah, he is. Big time stuff. Now, here's the thing. It's never said specifically what it was that he performed. All right? What kind of miracles or signs it was that he performed. But these are the same words that are used to describe some of the miracles that happened through the ministry of the apostles themselves. You know, the big dogs. Peter, James, John, the others. Miracles and signs. He performed miracles and signs. Don't panic when it sounds like Stephen is this magician, wizard dude. Who's out, you know, sprinkling fairy dust on everybody or whatever. And, and, and doing signs and miracles. Now what it is, is that when, when you study the word performed. He is not the originator or the source of the things that happens. He is just the guy that does the steps and does the thing and does the work. Does the action. The source for the miracles and signs. What are they? These two words we talked about. The grace and the power. That's the source. And it's clear through the teachings of scripture that that power does not come from somebody's awesomeness. Right? That power comes only from God himself. It is the power of God that was released to all believers. Starting on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. Jesus gave us a heads up about all of this. Saying the whole, when, I, when I send you the Holy Spirit, the power is going to come. So Stephen did the these miracles and signs. All right. We don't know what they were. They were more than likely. Like with the other apostles. Some healing. Maybe some people that were sick. I don't know. We don't know exactly what the signs were. But here's. I, I want to share with you a little bit about the words miracles and signs. One, the word for miracle basically means in the, in the original language. Something so strange. So as to cause it to be. Watched and observed. So strange. The, the word signs is an unusual occurrence beyond the common course of nature. So some, some weird wild stuff is going on. It's like, whoa, that's not normal. That's not like, I didn't wake up this morning expecting to see that happen. Whether it was a physical healing or something else. 
But I love that thing where it says it, it, that, that part of that word definition. There's a, so something so out of the ordinary that it forces almost like it demands that it would be watched and observed. Now, here's part of the punchline of this talk. I believe, and I think it's clear through the teachings of of the New Testament. I believe that we can see in the life of Stephen, we can see things happening. We can take lessons from his life. We can take the example of his life and the stuff that went on for him is available for you and for me and for all of us. That is is the teachings of scripture. Jesus himself said it. He said, the things you see me do, you're going to have the power, the authority, the enabling to do those things. All right, so we sit here and we go, wait a second, I can't remember the last time a miracle or a sign came out of my life, (laughs) you know. To be honest, right? When was the last time that something happened in my life that was so out of the ordinary that it demanded that somebody look at it and notice it and observe, right? Something outside the common occurrences. Well, let me just ask you this. Have you ever been in a conversation where somebody came to you and said, look, I've been watching your life. I know your story. I know what you've been going through. I don't get it. I don't see how you're getting through this. You ever been in one of those kind of conversations? You ever said that to somebody else? I am amazed at how you're getting through this thing or this series of things that you're having to deal with. You feel me on that? You remember moments like that? That's somebody looking and going, that's not normal. That's outside common occurrence. And I'm, it's noticeable. And I'm just sitting there going, what's the deal? And I'll tell you what the deal is. It's the grace of God. And the power of God working in our lives. And some of us, yes, we have, we have some of those really cool stories. My mom, when I was in high school. Diagnosed with macular degeneration of the retina. You guys have heard of macular degeneration. It's more of a common thing now. Or it's probably always been common. But I I didn't know a whole lot about it when I was in high school. But the doc said, hey, here's the progression. Here's here's how long it's going to be before you can only see around your periphery and all this. And so I'm in high school and my mom every day was just like, here, let me look at your face. You know, because she wanted to remember everything. It was kind of moving, but kind of creepy at the same time. So she was, this was her. And, and, and after months of praying and having people pray and having people of faith pray for her, I'm sitting in the, the doctor's office, the eye doctor's office with her, the surgeon did. And he looks and he's, you know, scoots his little stool back and then he looks again. And then he scoots his stool back and he says, Marty, I don't get it. There's nothing there. 
It's gone. This is back in the 80s, which is where I'm from, right? And so, <laughs> you feel me? So I'm, I'm sitting there, and, you know, I, how many of you got little floaters in your field of vision? Anybody got the floaters? Mom had the floaters. It was almost like God said, you know what, I'll take those floaters too. Ditch the, the macular stuff. And, then, and I'm like jealous because I still have floaters. And I'm like, God, take away my floaters. Guess what? He hasn't. What does that mean? I don't know. All I know is, is that something happened that was beyond the normal common occurrence. And some of us have those stories and I love it. I'm looking at a story right here with Kate and Zach. You got to get with Kate and Zach. And you're watching online. You don't even know who Kate and Zach are. They're on staff. So check the staff page. But you need to email them and get them to tell you their story. Miracle. Baby. Right there. It's good stuff. Miracles happen. Sometimes miracles I pray for don't happen. I don't get it. But I'm telling you. I have those conversations all the time. I sit here and I go, wow, wow, there's something in my life or something in the life of one of my friends that happens that's not normal. How in the world did that family get restored? How in the world did that addiction get broken? How in the world is that relationship mended? How in the world is the is the mental health of that person being, being restored. That's not normal. It's grace. It's power. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So as Stephen did, and we don't have all the details, but I'm telling you, we should wake up in the morning saying, Lord, flood me with grace and power. And may it, may it overtake all the stuff in my life and may it help somebody else. That's what we should do. We should pray, Lord, I don't, I don't know all the answers. There's, there, there's stuff I don't understand. And there's a beyond knowing for me. But I'm asking you. Grace, power, miracles, and signs. Just like with Stephen. Amen? It's good stuff. All right. That's cool. And you would think with a guy this awesome. That the Lord would say, oh yeah, I'm going to take this guy and I'm going to put him on the Mount Rushmore of my guys. And he is going to write letters to the first century church. And then we're going to put that stuff in the Bible. And we're going to quote Stephen all the time. Give this man a long life. Do more miracles. Release more grace and power out of this guy. Again, no spoilers. But you want to get back. Because... This, what we just talked about, from here, things get really wonky in Stephen's life. Because, and we're going to read what, what happens next. And the, 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 the little heading under this next part of the talk is called Spirit-Empowered Truth. So, Spirit-Empowered Truth is also what was flowing out of Stephen's life. And it was needed because... Some drama came up specifically for Stephen. So let's keep reading in Acts chapter 6 so that we can see how this began to play out. All right, so starting in verse 9. But opposition arose 
from members of the synagogue of the freed slaves, as it was called, composed of, the synagogue was composed of Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and people from Cilicia and the province of Asia. They argued with Stephen. How dare they? Such a cool guy. How dare they argue with Stephen? Let me just give, give you a quick rundown. These people that are referred to in this verse, they come from a particular synagogue. Now, the way it worked in Jerusalem and, uh, at the time is that there was this one major center for sacrificial worship experiences. That was the temple itself, the most holy ground in all of, uh, of Jerusalem, of all of Israel, really. So the temple in Jerusalem is where all the big-time corporate get-togethers were. You know, the sacrificial system was enacted, the rituals of that, the Jewish religion. But there were a bunch, there were multiple little synagogues that met in different places. Uh, they were specific little groups uh, that all worshipped the same way at the big temple gatherings and the temple rituals. But... When it was time to gather, maybe just for some, some teaching, some reading from the, the, the scriptures or whatever, or fellowship or meals or whatever, they, they would just be in smaller little synagogues. And this synagogue was called the synagogue of the freed slaves or the freed men. And, and basically what, it, what this was, they were, these were Jewish worshipers who had at one time in their life been prisoners of the Roman Empire. So they were as, either classified as prisoners or actual slaves of the Roman Empire. And they were held in Roman courts or prisons or, or whatever, precincts, all over the known world. Because the Roman Empire was ruling the known world at the time. And then for whatever reason, these people would have served their sentence or they would have their sins commuted and they were freed. And they were, and, and, and any of those freed people who resettled in Jerusalem, they kind of all wanted to go to church together. You know what I'm saying? So the other thing that happened, and this, this releasing of, of prisoners would happen periodically in the Roman Empire. And so this kind of synagogue had been going on for quite some time, decades and decades. So sometimes the people that gathered in the synagogue might have been the children or descendants of people that had one time been prisoners. The reason I share that is that the real point about these people that we hear about this synagogue of freed slaves, the real point is that they had a few things in common, all right? They might not have all been prisoners at one time. Most of them were related to somebody that was a prisoner, but they all spoke Greek as their primary language, right? And so they could worship together, and that's pretty cool, I think. You know, you like to go to a church where most people kind of speak your, your language. They were, uh, but, but also because of either their own experience or the experience of their ancestors in abroad, away from Jerusalem and Israel, they were more adamant about their passion for the Jewish rituals, because sometimes when you're out there, you know, or you're in prison, man, your faith, your, your practice has become so important to you. And, and there's even historical evidence that these kind of prisoners actually sp spread the Jewish faith uh, because they were so devout. 
So it was a big deal for them. So they were even more adamant than maybe the local Jewish people. All right. And uh, that made them just more zealous and sometimes kind of overboard. And it made them more contentious towards a guy like Stephen. Stephen was also a Greek-speaking Jewish person. And because all the believers at that time who had come to faith in Christ had decided my job, my responsibility is to share the message of Christ. You got this well-educated, sharp guy named Stephen going to these different Greek-speaking synagogues and saying, you guys, Jewish traditions, yeah, I get it. They're awesome, but let me tell you about Jesus. And the people in those synagogues freaked. Some of them came to faith in Christ, but a lot of them were pushing back big time. And so these guys were really mad at Stephen. And so they opposed him. But as you see on the screen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by which he spoke. Jesus, back in, I think it was Luke chapter 12, he gave his disciples a heads up. He said, one day, and of course he knew how it was going to play, off, play out. They did. He said, but one day, man, you're going to get... You're going to get out there. You're going to be spreading my message. You're going to be doing your thing. We're going to, the, the church is going to expand. He said, but you're going to have opposition. And they're going to drag you in front of, of, of synagogue leaders and rulers and council members and Sanhedrin dudes. And they're going to co- drag you in front of them. And it's going to be a panic moment in your life. And he said, Jesus told them in Luke chapter uh, 12, verses 11 and 12, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about how to defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So Stephen is a walking example of that. Stephen just goes in there, man, and, uh, and it says they could not even stand up against his arguments. But really, it was the Spirit by which he spoke the Holy Spirit of God, as Jesus promised, teach him how to speak. All right? So these people who are super zealous, they've been repatriated into Jerusalem. They're, they're, they're so passionate about their faith. And Stephen is public enemy number one. What do they do? They can't, they can't out-argue him because he's like, he's like smacking them down with a great argument, with great words. And the Holy Spirit's all over them. They're like, man, we cannot... We can't tangle with this guy. What do we do? We're going to look at it here in just one second. But before I do, I just want to mention, I want to, want to drop one little plot thickener into the stew. All right? It's kind of, a, kind of a precursor for what's going to be talked about in the weeks to come. You know, in that, that verse it's where it says all, where all these guys from this particular synagogue came from, Alexandria, Cyrene. They mentioned a little uh, province called Cilicia. There's a town in the province of Cilicia. It's called uh, Tarsus. T-A-R-S-U-S. There's a dude from Tarsus who was the best young up-and-coming law teacher of them all. He was like the Patrick Mahomes of law teachers. He's like the Stetson Bennett IV of law teachers. I just needed to get some kind of response from my Georgia people. And you let me down. I'm just going to be honest with you. Thank you. Better late than never. So here's the thing. So this young guy named Saul of Tarsus was one of the biggest, baddest, up-and-coming 
teachers of the law. Saul. Put that in your back pocket and think about it because that comes into play a little bit later in Stephen's story. But what are they going to do? Can't out-argue him. Holy Spirit's driving this. So let's, let's see what they do. They, they resort to lies and slander. Lies and slander. Verse uh, 11 through 14. Let's read through this. We'll kind of motor through this. So since they couldn't, couldn't win the argument. So they secretly persuaded some men to allege. We heard him speak blasphemy against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people as well as the elders and the Torah teachers. So they came and arrested Stephen and led him before the Sanhedrin. That's that council we talked about earlier. Verse 13. There they set up false witnesses who said, This man never stopped speaking against this holy place, the temple. And against the Torah, the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs Moses handed down to us. So they, they accused him falsely of two things. They accused him of saying he's going to destroy the temple, which you couldn't get more fighting words than that. And he's going to change all the customs that came straight from Moses. False on, erroneous on both counts. Thank you. So, it's because I think he got that reference. Uh, it was erroneous because Jesus never said he was going to destroy the temple. He said the temple will be destroyed, which was, by the way, a, an accurate prophecy in 70 AD. Boom, it happened with an invasion of. Anyway, they destroyed the temple. But Jesus just said, yeah, it will be destroyed one day. And then in another place, it was uh, John chapter uh, 2, verse 20 through 22. And, and they, they're having a conversation with Jesus. Uh, Jesus had just cleansed the temple. You know, he was mad about how they were mistreating, misusing the temple for worship. You remember that story? Some of you who are familiar with some of Jesus' stories. He was just kicking tables and he made a mess. And they said, by what authority are you doing this? What sign can you give us that you have a right to do this? And he said, you destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it back up. Now, he had shifted from talking about the temple, temple, to his own body, the temple. He was already doing an illustration, kind of an analogy thing, which they didn't get. So these guys said, we're going to... Take some words from these two quotes and we're going to put them together and say, Jesus said he'd destroy the temple. He never said that. The other thing is he never said, I'm going to just do away with all the customs of, of the Jewish religion. In fact, he said, I don't come to abolish the law. I come to what? Fulfill the law. So these guys are total losers. But they got enough fake news going that the, and, and they hired some people to actually testify in front of the, the religious council. Whew, how did lightning not strike those people, right? But they did it. And, and, and they lied about Stephen. All right? What happened then is they, they, they ran out these, these fake witnesses given the, the, bad, the false accusations. Sanhedrin's there. Stephen's there because they seized him violently. He's probably bound hand and foot. 
standing there watching everything happen. And everybody there is, is looking to see how Stephen is going to respond. Now, this is the cliffhanger I was telling you about because we're not going to get to Stephen's response today. But it's just this, man, the dramatic music is playing. Mm-mm. You know, unnecessary Zoom close-ups. Mm-mm. You know, what, Stephen? Bad guys, lying, witnesses, priests. You know, what's going to happen? And then we'll tell you next week. But here's the one thing we are going to talk about here to, before we close, as we close. And this is the important stuff. Is that as he was standing there, and I, I, let's just read this straight from verse 15 of Acts chapter 6. Everyone sitting in the Sanhedrin stared at Stephen and saw that his face looked like the face of an angel. His face looked like the face of an angel. Whoa. That's really, okay, close, zoom in on that, you know, because that's awesome. But we need to pause for a second and make sure we really understand what's playing out here. Because when I say, when, when I think just in my Western modern mind, when somebody says the face of an angel, I think, you know, some, some sort of an angel statue, you know, you know, <laughs> you know glowing, cute, perhaps, adorable, maybe, face of an angel. You guys remember that show that came on in the 90s called Touched by an Angel? Oh, I love that show. I know it was theologically weird, but it was so cool every Sunday night. You know, see these God stories playing out. And so it wasn't like Stephen sitting there and then the light glows on his head. You remember they did that? And, and then a Scottish angel says, God loves you. He sent me here to tell you. <laughs> That's not what happened. What, what happened was, all right. So anytime in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. Anytime an angel shows up, he's not <sighs> fluttering around and, hello, I'm an angel. You know? What do the people do in the Bible when they see an angel? They're like, whoa, this is serious. This is heavy. The face of an angel. These people when they thought about what a face of an angel would look like, here's what, here's what they were talking about. An angel only showed up when he was on a mission. He was there to do something. He was there to say something. The face of an angel is They looked at this guy and said, he's a man on a mission. Dude, he does not look like a guy who should be fearing for his life. He does not look like a guy who's freaking out because he doesn't know what's going to happen because of the uncertainty of his future. Is he going to spend the rest of his life in jail? Is he going to be beaten? Will he survive this whole thing? All of these are question marks and there's nothing about his face That looks like a guy who would be facing that. He's on a mission. 
confident. He has confidence because he knows that God is with him. He's full of grace. He's full of power. He's confident, not in certainty of what's going to happen, but he's confident in the God who has placed him strategically right where he is. And the last thing that the face of an angel would communicate is authority. Here's a guy bound, and who knows what's about to happen to him. Nobody in that room knew for sure. But here he was, on a mission, confident, just waiting for his chance to speak up. And he knew he was speaking not of his own authority. How, how would he know that? Where would, where would he get that? Because he knew everything about his life that had brought him to that moment was not of his own doing. It was the grace of God that had saved him and had made him strong. And it was the power of God that had worked through his life. That had helped him with his own stuff of his own life. And it had mattered and made an impact in the lives of people around him. He knew he knew he was there for God. He knew he was with God. And he was going to speak the words of God. And so here's my pitch for us today. We, as men and women and students, in this day... In 2021, who, who follow Christ, who a, attempt to live for Him, who try to walk in grace and release, have His power released in and through us, we can stand in every situation we face with knowing we're on purpose, a purposeful mission. We are burdened with glorious purpose. We are confident in our God. And we have been given authority by Him to walk boldly into whatever situation. It doesn't matter what question marks might exist. Let me tell you, Stephen is on my heaven bucket list. You know, a heaven bucket list is the people I want to talk to when I get to heaven. Stephen is right near the top of the list because I want to look at him and I want to say, talk to me, dude, talk to me. Don't just... And he, he will tell us when we talk to him that what he knew was that he was not alone. He was not alone. He was not there by accident. He was not ultimately at the mercy of the people who had the power to totally control his life and whether he lived or died. He knew he was with God. And I say to you who have bowed the knee to Christ and who walk in grace and power with him, you are not alone. Whatever we are going through, you are not alone. Whatever question marks you have about how things are going to play out, you are not alone. We are not alone. 
It doesn't matter what anybody does or tries to do to us. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. We are not alone. So I would say in closing, in closing, that if you in your life cannot trace a time or find a time in your life story where you chose to follow Christ, where you chose to accept the grace and the power of God into your life. If you've never come to the Lord to ask Him for forgiveness, to ask Him for a new life, to ask Him to save your soul, why not today? It's the perfect day. We're talking about the story of a guy who for, for whom everything changed when he made that decision. And not only did he become a legend because of his courage, he has made a difference in the lives of people for centuries, for millennia, because of his faith. This could be us. This could be our story. And your story with the Lord could start today. So if you've never made that decision, I invite you to make it with me right now. It's a decision I made many years ago. Many of my friends have made that decision and it has made all the difference. So if you feel something stirring in you that you need that faith, that you need that moment, then I would just ask you, we're gonna bow our heads in prayer. Wherever you are listening or watching this, Offer this prayer in your heart to the Lord. It's, it's quite simple. It's just to say, and you can repeat this prayer after me. You just say, Father in heaven, I cannot save myself. Help me turn from my sin. Come into my life. I receive your grace and your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, if you prayed that prayer, it's not magic words or anything like that, but if you prayed that prayer, we believe you got born again just right now. I mean, it just happened. Best decision you ever made. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If that was for you, then I'm going to ask you to let somebody know. You could let us know with a little connection card. You could come down during our last song. You could come down to our altar and have a time of prayer. You can do that for any prayer need you have. You could go to our prayer team that is in the back corner of our worship center. My left and your right. That back corner right over there. You can talk to them. Maybe you don't want to talk to us. Call somebody. Call your mom. Call your friend who invited you to church one time. Whatever. Just tell somebody I made the decision. Your faith journey starts today, and it's going to be the greatest ride of your life. Let's stand together. Let's stand together, and let's worship with one final song. And let's, and let's declare to the Lord that regardless what happens, He is enough for us. If He was with Stephen the way He was, He is with you, and He is with me. He is with all of us. And He is enough. 
He is enough. He will carry us through anything that we have to walk through with His grace and with His power. Y'all lead us.